I literally Googled best online life insurance. Ladder life insurance popped up. Got an estimate and I was like, wait, what? It's like a third of my household's cell phone bill. Congratulations, you have life insurance. Get your peace of mind right there and then. Here's how Ladder works. Answer a few quick questions and get your personalized quote. If you're eligible, Ladder will cover you with the tap of a button. It's that easy. Come see for yourself why customers love Ladder. Check your price now at ladderlife.com life. Featuring real stories from real customers. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden & Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade, and welcome to Energy Matters. We want to help you save money to use technology and to live a more sustainable lifestyle. In the studio with me, as always, my co-host, former state representative John Noel, Casey Boyce here today, and James Marlowe, the founder of Radiant Solar. We're going to be talking in this in this episode about the future of solar in the U.S. and in Georgia. And James, I have to say that Germany and California certainly have paid the learning curve for solar, and we're benefiting from that. You've been to Germany. All of us have been to Germany and looked at that. What have we learned from them, and, and, uh, and where are they going in the future? Well, there's, there's innovation coming from all over the world. Um, California is still um, 50% of the U.S. solar market, and, and California really is a different country. It's, it's you know, fourth or, yeah. or fifth largest economy in the world, and they're embracing technology in, in ways that, that other places typically follow because they, they prove the economics, they show it can work. So California has recently, with the support of home builders and real estate people, enacted a 100% requirement for new home construction to include solar. Uh, they're, they're moving to a 100% renewable energy standard for the state, uh, as New York did this week. So we see innovation that's come from New Jersey. We've seen innovation in North Carolina, here in the southeast. So there's just an awful lot going on in this area that's giving our utilities more tools to work with. It's giving homeowners and business owners more options in the way that they choose to source their energy and to find savings and and reduced environmental impact in doing so. I've heard some grumbling about that big government coming in and trying to tell me how to build a house and trying to tell me I have to put solar on my house uh, in California. All right, fair point. But... um, is it not true that doing this from new construction, from the new construction point of view, drops the cost tremendously because you you have efficiencies of scale? And tell us about how much a typical cost you had to retrofit it on my house. How much does it cost to put it in a new place? Well, when you're putting it in new home construction, you're typically doing it in a very system process. So you've got economies of scale and labor savings. You're buying the equipment in volume. You're typically building it in a community scale. So the reason it, it saw such strong support in California is that it was just a benefit to the homeowners. It was a benefit to people selling homes. It was a benefit to people building homes. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't an expensive option that was a drag on the housing industry. It, it was something that, that was mm-hmm. going to make it better. And if yeah. you end up doing it up front, then you don't have to go back and rip out walls and run wires and things like that. When we did our house back in 2008, we, we renovated, we put in wiring for solar and an EV charger knowing they'd be you know happening down the road. Wow. And boy, I'm glad we did that because that saved us thousands of dollars and lots of disruption. Interesting. We, we call that making a building or a home solar ready. 
So a little bit go. like in the old day when you'd pre-wire speaker wires when you were building a house or, or whatever. But it's a, an intelligent thing to the do. Er, the, the only example in Georgia of, of stuff ready, solar or EV ready, is in Atlanta now. They just passed an ordinance requiring all new residential construction, and it may dive down into other areas, that be EV ready. That is, that they have electrical uh, connections to the garage where the cars would park and required to be heavier duty electrical and that's a very low-cost thing. So you're running wire and conduit before you pour concrete. So you're, you're doing something that has very minimal cost that, as you said, can save you thousands of dollars later on. So let's get back to uh, Germany and California. And in Germany in specific, there was a, a really cool project that I read about recently where um, there's a battery company that has a lot of homeowners with their system in Germany, and they're enabling what they call a virtual power plant. So homeowners kind of pool their battery together and they use it to offset demand at various points during the day. Is that something that you see coming to the U.S. at any time soon or, or Georgia more specifically? I think it will. The benefits of a battery is that you can firm power, you can use reliability or off-grid capabilities, you can use energy at different times so that it's more affordable and it benefits the utility. So I think utilities will begin to see that this is a benefit to their systems and a way for them to save money as well. So there are many grid benefits to doing things like that that benefit the business, the home, or the utility. So what's the barrier? What's, what's stopping that from happening right now? Well, some of it is regulatory. You have um, utilities that you know are focused on low cost and reliable and safe systems, and you know they're beginning to learn to incorporate new technologies. But they often want to do a little bit slower than entrepreneurs or business people like uh, myself would like to see them do it. That things need to be moving a lot faster. What, what would you see? What would you like? Speaking of speed, what would you like to see? If you had a magic wand, what would you change today in Georgia in solar? We're going through an, an integrated resource plan at the Public Service Commission. So I'd like to see us continue to do what we've been doing, which has been great policy by the Public Service Commission with leadership like Tim and Bubba McDonald and the work they've done, like Georgia Power and their efforts and Green Power and Jeff Pratt and Oglethorpe. Those folks have done a great job. There's been no upward pressure on the rates. So we've done solar. With without, solar, there's been no upward pressure without adding up yeah. pressure on the rate base yeah. and then we've also enabled a lot more solar so let's continue doing what we've been doing right. let's do incorporate more distributed generation so that we do like 10 percent more so that maybe 80 20 would be my recommendation 80 percent large scale and 20 percent distributed generation we need to continue to make our programs simpler and much more of a standing program so that you if you're a business and you're planning you can plan easier and you can take the time needed to safely add these systems to your facilities. Um, we'd like to see the community solar program that Georgia Power has uh, become a more robust and more widely adopted How program. We'd like to see um, a continuation of making large companies like Facebook came to Georgia and they said, we want to invest billions in Georgia and we want solar and they're going to do 400 megawatts of solar, which is about $400 million worth of solar. Wow. So, you know, those are opportunities to bring investment to the state. Uh, it's a very pro-business position and one that's good for our utility 
facilities and, and good for jobs and economic development. Well, what about tariffs? I mean, is this is this hurting you or is it not? Well, in solar, the tariffs have definitely been a headwind, and there's really kind of two pieces to it. One is there was a period of uncertainty, and the uncertainty was actually worse than the tariff itself. So you had many yes. people that were doing business planning, and they said, we're going to wait and see what this tariff does to our business. So once the tariff was announced, solar panel prices started moving back down as they've done. Once again, solar has dropped about 80% in the last eight years. So a lot like flat panel televisions, which seem to be in every room I go in now. Oh, boy. Um, you know, they're low cost and they're everywhere. And there's one right above my head here in the studio. So solar panels are following that same cost compression and that same, you know, kind of mainstream adoption that we've seen with personal computers or cell phones or flat panel televisions. Well, it strikes me that that cost piece is so important because in our research, we see, you know, consumers across the country have been getting this message that you're just sharing with us now, right? That, that you know, the price of solar is coming down. It's a lot cheaper. And then, you know, utility offering comes out and it's, you know, pay extra for, for solar. And the customer sitting there scratching their head saying, wait a minute. I've been hearing that this is cheaper and you're asking me to pay more. So I think that, that what we've talked about here is really important, right, in terms of the adoption, making sure that there's that downward pressure on rates and that, you know, if there is a specific solar offering, that customers see that benefit coming through to them, right? Is it not true that solar is the cheapest form of energy in the United States now? I mean, you've got solar, wind, coal, natural gas. I mean, it sort of it goes up from there and then we get to other radioactive sources but i mean the point is we've got we've got multiple layers of costs and uh, and that's what I that's what I love about solar is it's cheap cheap cheap. So on a cost per kilowatt basis, solar is the cheapest form of generation that we have, and it is the fastest growing form of new generation. So as as systems add solar, now you know. You need to do good integrated resource planning because solar is a peaking resource. The sun doesn't shine at night. So you have to balance base load batteries. and peaking need and then incorporate batteries more intelligently. So in the integrated resource plan, I would like to see more battery storage pilots of all sizes. So not just one or two little small ones, but let's do some large scale, let's do some medium scale, let's do some on these military bases so that we continue to strengthen the DOD capabilities in our state, which are really important. And we make it available, you know, to other companies that are coming in, like data centers and others. So, James, I'm going to ask you a really practical question that I don't think we've talked about on the show, which is how long do these solar panel systems last and, and what do you do with them when they're, they're no longer working? So solar panels are a really unique product because they come with a 25-year production warranty. And they're designed to be in the environment. They last a long time. They don't have any moving parts. It's glass. It's a, an aluminum frame in some cases. Some cases they don't even have a frame. They have um, silicon in most cases or cadmium telluride in other cases. And those products can be easily recycled. There's not a lot of recycling going on right now because they haven't come to end of life. So there's not a lot of volume in recycling. So therefore, the supply chain has not yet developed. Well, that's good to know. But the materials that are in there have a value, a salvage value that can be extracted. And as we have that opportunity, the the recyclers are sitting there ready to build that industry. Interesting. Okay, I like it. I love it. Um, what's the biggest question you get about solar? I, I think the biggest question is around cost and economics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you have people that will say, That used well, to be we, hard. Now we it's easy. Looked, we <laughs> looked at solar three years ago, and it was too expensive. And it's like, right? well, you know, let's revisit that. Let's look at the real numbers today and look at the economics and the cost of solar panels that are in the market right now. 
Right. And are you see what 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 mix of solar and solar and batteries are you seeing both residential and commercial customers? Well, our focus is utility and industrial, so there's not a lot of batteries and storage being used in the solarized residential programs. I'm told that the numbers about 40-45% of the homes will have battery storage. That's a lot. Wow, great information. When we come back, James, I want to talk about this UGA project that you guys did on Millage Avenue uh, that, that folks can see if they go out and you know watch a soccer game or go out to the livestock uh, arena or the, to see football practice out there. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters, and we'll be back in just a minute. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Well, this has been an interesting uh, topic with uh, some great people. First, let's thank our sponsors. Uh, Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. AGG takes a business sensibility approach when advising clients. AGG provides industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG's transaction, litigation, regulatory, privacy counselors serve clients in healthcare, real estate, litigation, business transactions, fintech, global commerce, government investigations, logistics, and transportation. AGG subscribes to the belief, not if, but how. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters, where we're helping you save money, we're helping you use technology, and we're helping you be more sustainable. We have got one of the sustainability gurus here in the form of James Marlowe, uh, founder of Radiant Solar, and uh, my friend Casey Boyce is joining Commissioner Tim Eccles uh, here to uh, talk really more about solar in Georgia. Uh, Casey? Yeah, so before the break, Tim was uh, talking about this project that UGA's done on Millage Avenue, and I I don't know about this project, James. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I'd be happy to. It's one of the favorite projects that I've worked on. We had the pleasure of working with Georgia Power on a research and development project that they conducted with the Electric Power Research Institute and the University of Georgia. It's on Millage Avenue, and it is about... um, 11 acres of land and it has about seven different types of solar all on one site so that they can compare and contrast seven different types different what, types of what technologies kind of types of solar are there so they have a 
dual axis tracker, which will track on both axes so that it will capture kind of more sunlight sun. and follow the sun. They have single axis trackers, which are a little bit like level or blinds. They'll roll with the sun and produce about 20% more energy. There are fixed arrays at different orientations so that you can capture more uh, sunlight in the summertime versus the wintertime oh, where it's yeah. more productive. Yeah. They have a battery backup test there, and they also have special inverter. The inverter transfer. Uh, first DC power into AC power, and they can control those remotely and do some things to test smart inverters. So uh, it's a really exciting project, and it's really, really pretty cool to, to see if you're at the soccer field there. That's really cool. Field. So what, what kinds of things uh, is UGA learning from this array or, or Georgia Power? Or are you like, what, what are you getting out of it? Well, I think they're able to, to learn the benefits of different orientations. So how you cite solar. Uh, they're looking at, you know, some of the vegetation um, the turf management school is looking at. So there are a number of things that the school is able to do. And it's also got an educational component. Very I, cool. I, I, I bet students just eat this stuff up. I mean, who do you find your employees, for example? You're a huge job creator here in Georgia. All these solar companies are. It's fastest growing. Isn't it right that solar is one of the fastest growing We have around 4,300 employees now, so it's been a high-growth area, and we get people from Tech and Emory and UGA and other, other I love schools. your story. Seven people to 4,300 people since 2008 or whenever it was. Um, so you're finding, you're finding people right out of school. Are you seeing – I'm in the world of energy efficiency – College students want to talk to me about this. They're attracted to it because it's environmentally friendly. It's innovative. They're interested in my space. Are you finding the same thing? And when you hire, when you're doing new hires, who are those people? Well, we hire all types of people, and most of them do believe in sustainability, and they believe that what we do has a societal benefit, that we help people save money and reduce cost, but we also have a reduced environmental impact and that we impact air quality and water quality. Um, so people from construction fields come to us, people that are recent college grads come to us that might want to work in design, uh, they may want to work in marketing or sales. So you know, we need all disciplines uh, you know, in this industry. So if I'm going to school right now and I'm picking a major and I want to work in the solar field, what what should I major in? What do I need well, to Well, you know, I think technical backgrounds are always really helpful. Not so, a history degree. So that, Sorry, John. Um, I'm well, out. The, the history degree um, is a good degree as well because we want creative thinkers that might want to work in marketing or they might want to work in, in a customer-facing side of the business. So we, we have a real mix of, of talented people in our company and in the industry. That's a good point. That's a good point because you got to sell this stuff. I mean, you got to have salespeople. You've got to have installers and not just installers. Um, and you got to have engineers to engineer that. I, I've, I've been to your office. I've seen some of these desks. As, as big as this control room where people are laying out plans and you're and you're looking at what it looks like on top of a of an industrial building and how what all the interconnections are and all the panels and how they're going to be uh put down there i mean that's that's not easy and that takes georgia tech grads that takes it's, it's electrical it takes. engineering mechanical engineering yeah. structural engineering you know geotechnical work so that we know what's in the soils and then you have solar um, specialties looking at you know what would the performance of a solar array be if you used a different type of equipment or had a different orientation so on that note what's been the most difficult solar project that you've been involved in and why well We've done about 350, and I always Holy say we, we haven't had an easy one yet, you know, that they all have a challenge of some sort. You just sometimes don't know what that challenge will be. the ones he be. lost money on. Those are the ones he's going to be like, oh, they stunk. 
I don't know. I think we, we've learned a lot in that uh, decade of experience and that we, we continue to learn and we continue to use new equipment. I mean, we're constantly using new technologies, new approaches. Um, I'm going to leave here today and go to a project here in athens Clark County at their water treatment facility, and we're working with some guys from MIT on a new racking system that uses pneumatics. So there's always something to learn. There's always something to, to try to improve these technologies. So you mentioned earlier that solar has an impact on water quality. And you're headed over to this project with athens Clark County. What's the impact of solar on water or water on solar? Like what? what? Well, the water energy nexus is, a, a, to me, a fascinating topic. But our lights here in Georgia, um, if you're on Georgia Power, they use about 1.6 gallons of water for every, every kilowatt generated. And wow. most people don't really make that connection. But if you're using thermoelectric, so if you're using coal or natural gas, Infernal you use combustion. water for cooling if you're using a nuclear yeah. plant. So that water or and the connection plant. to energy yeah. is really vital. And right. that, you know, we have, we're now a state of, of I guess, uh, 12 plus million people, and we're going to be a state of 15 million people. So water is important uh, for energy. It's important for agriculture. It's important for our cities. So water and energy are very, very interrelated. So at wastewater treatment plants, they obviously use a lot of energy to treat water water, uh, then to recondition it, so pumping of water. So uh, there's even some people that believe about 50% of our energy is used in water-related tasks. That's so incredible. Christ, that is incredible. Yeah, pumping the water up and down. I mean, you got to get it, then you got to filter it, then you got to get it to the house, then you got to deal with the waste and pump all that stuff up and down. And Holy mackerel. Yeah, I wouldn't tell that. Yeah, so I mean, this is something that we haven't really touched on on the show, have we? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think most people realize that there's this, as you said, energy water nexus, right? That, you know, solar power helps preserve water for other uses and helps reduce the amount of electricity that's used for, you know, cleaning and transporting drinking water. So what do you think the future of solar is in the United States and in Georgia? Well, the only thing I'm absolutely certain of is that there's going to be a lot more solar and that, you know, the rate of adoption will vary. Uh, One of the most interesting things Georgia Power is using in some of their presentations is a graph of the energy mix that shows in the next three years that 13% of our energy will come from solar, and that's an equal percentage to nuclear. And over what period? So that will be... Um, once again, in the next three years, when oh, they complete okay. many of the projects that are still really? under development, but that's, we'll up, that's up from zero. That's up from zero when we started eleven years ago. So right. there's been a, a very strong uptake of solar in Georgia because the economics are driving it. You know, we've got a good rational economic model that is having our utilities use a lot more solar because it is more cost-effective for them to do so. And it is the role of Tim's Public Service Commission to come in and say. This is the mix we want. We want more solar. We want nuclear, in his case. Uh, We want less coal. Uh, We want more natural gas. Whatever that mix is, that's his responsibility and the Public Service Commission's responsibility. And your advocacy is for more solar because it's green, because you're a free market capitalist, you'd like to make a little money, and because you see it as a low-cost alternative to all the other stuff. It just makes economic sense. Yeah, and the Public Service Commission, as we look at things, I mean, reliability is very important to us. I mean, clearly, with the state, mostly run by Republicans, you know, at this point, we still exclusively run. Yeah, we still want to keep we still want to keep economic development and jobs at the forefront. Uh, It's very, very important 
to us, and as long as the Republicans are, are running the state, I think that's going to continue to be oh, the driving please. force. So it's not that I am, you know, Adam Ant for nuclear power. I mean, yes, it's, it's important. I, I see nuclear energy and renewables really going together, moving us towards you know, a, a carbon-free future. And I don't think that we can get there, John, without nuclear energy. We can't I see just... the little girl walking down the, the in the daisy field and the little mushroom cloud behind. I mean, that's I, I see a whole different walking through the through the through the forest of flowers. Yeah, um, but there, there, yeah. there just hasn't been that mushroom cloud here in the United States. You, you can't no. you can't show me a mushroom cloud. No, 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 no. And you won't one. see a mushroom cloud. You do have to go to Russia to see the mushroom. Yeah, cloud. There, there was a mushroom or the Pacific cloud Ocean there. to see and, the radio. You know what? Cloud. Yeah. To, to be fair, we can't yeah. afford a catastrophic accident anywhere in the world every 15 years that that no, is yeah, not true. going to help the nuclear but one thing we know business. is that his solar farm he's building in south georgia won't have an accident the sun the you know we, we never hear uh the sun came up and it's been a terrible uh spill of solar sun solar radioactive uh, solar, solar radio is a great day solar spills <laughs> a great day not a not a bad day of coal ash or whatever else so I, I think what we can agree to is that solar energy is clean, it is green, and it is low cost. And uh, I'm so personally, I'm so grateful for James Marlowe and people like him that got in the solar business and doing this. And frankly, I'm grateful for people like Commissioner Eccles who've who've advocated as much as I want to wring his neck sometimes on other issues. He's advocating for solar. He's doing a lot of the right things. Uh, and uh, I look forward to arguing with him on other stuff, though. You know, and, and I think we end this segment talking about exactly what we began the segment with, and that is that you don't have to completely agree with a person in order to make progress. And, I mean, this radio show, the way we do this show uh, is, is case in point. Uh, that we we try to feature the best of ideas. Uh, we, we try to bring the brain trust of sustainability to the microphone, and we will continue to do that. James, thank you for being here. Uh, keep up the great work. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. GERD and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. With gas prices hitting over $3 for the first time since 2014, isn't it time you consider a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid from BMW Auto Sales? These plug-in hybrids will go 50 miles on electric charge, saving you precious money and time. Skip the line at the gas pumps and charge in your garage. See more at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. Your host, Tim Eccles, here with my co-host, Casey Boyce in Decatur. Casey, how's it going? 
Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Hey, Casey, we've got Meredith Angwin from Wilder, Vermont, uh, and uh, it's great to welcome her to the show, University of Chicago grad author uh, of, of Shorting the Grid. Meredith, how's it going up there? Oh, it's going great. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful spring day. Yeah, Meredith, uh, you guys, you are from uh, Cornwall, UK, and uh, that's what, southwest uh, England down there? Where, where? Tell us about Cornwall a little bit. Well, I'm not from Cornwall, but my husband's family is, and we visited there, and it's it's uh, southwest England near Land's End, and it's um, basically historically been a mining area, uh, and the miners from Cornwall were the premier hard rock miners as opposed to coal miners, and they they dispersed all over. They, you can find them in, uh, in California for gold mining. You can find them in South Africa for gold mining. You can find them in South America for tin mining because they were very knowledgeable hard rock, rock miners, and his father was. Casey, I, I, I've been to the UK, uh, s- uh, southern UK, only once, and I was down with Allie Kelly and Harriet and Alan, one of their board members, and we were looking at this solar field uh, that had pollinator flowers because Allie and them wanted to do this on the ray. So we were met by this guy named Harry. He picked us up in a Range Rover, and he took us to a little pub. And uh, as we're driving along, Harry starts talking about, we were talking about Facebook and some problems that he got in trouble with his family about Facebook. And and so we're riding along and go, well, what happened with your family? Well, he said, well, it's the royal family. I, my, my wife's... Uh, my wife's mother, you know, is married to Prince Charles, uh, and I had posted some things on Facebook, and I kind of got in trouble, and the, you know, the the palace kind of took down my Facebook page, and, uh, and so we're sitting there, oh my goodness, here we are with the royal family, and we wind up going, you know, to his... <laughs> Solar, his solar field, he gives us some royal honey uh, that came out of Prince Charles' honeycombs. I had to buy a special luggage just to take the thing back. So anyway, <laughs> Meredith, that's my experience in the southern UK. How, how, did, how is that for my first time? Well, it's not typical. <laughs> I would say it's not <laughs> typical at all. I mean, my fa- my husband's family were miners, and uh, you know the the tin mines uh, and copper mines there ultimately played out and were outcompeted by newer tin mines all over the world. And there was a great exodus from Cornwall uh, around 1900. And but uh, I mean uh, that's uh, but the royal family. Uh, that's an unusual situation. <laughs> hey, that that BBC BBC series Poldark that was about Southern mining in Cornwall, right? Wasn't that tin mining? Yes, it was. It definitely was. Yeah, if you haven't watched the Poldark series, my wife and I love uh, BBC uh, television, and so we we watch uh, all those masterpiece theaters that come out. Casey, you a big masterpiece fan? No, not no. at all. No. <laughs> Casey, how about you, Meredith? Do you like Masterpiece Theater on public television? Well, I don't really, I don't really watch that much. I read a lot. I mean, it's really bad, but I just read all the time. I've always been Tim, that I, way. I think you're alone on this one. Yeah, that's, you know, that's probably why you two guys are so smart, and I'm over here sitting watching television. So, okay, uh, now we know what my problem is: too much TV. Well, Meredith, <laughs> I, Meredith, we're having you on today because of this Texas thing that 
that happened. And I know you've thought a lot about that, talked a lot about that. Your book addresses some things about that. So as you look back at this Texas situation this winter, how do you, what's kind of your spin and your take on what happened out there? Well, my feeling is that my that the organization of the Texas grid into what's called an RTO, Regional Transmission Organization System, is the, the, the fundamental problem. And the, the, the reason is that uh, there's a competition on uh, payments, on energy payments, and you can't you can't uh, invest in, 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 in reliability because you're trying to get the absolutely cheapest power and uh, because of the auctions. And the auctions are very odd. People have to understand that they're not a market quite the way we think of markets. For example, if, I, if you wanted to buy some zucchinis in a farmer's market and I offered you some at 10 cents and someone offered you some at 20 cents and you decided to take, take both sets of zucchinis, if this was an auction in the, in the uh, electricity system, you'd have to pay us both 20 cents because that would be the clearing price. So what happens is that the generators actually love it when there's a crisis on the grid because that's when the clearing price soars and they all get that price. And, and, uh, and I, it's, it's a very perverse incentive. Because um, if you, if, if you kept, let's say in, in New England, we have a problem in the winter that the natural gas pipelines can't carry enough gas for homes and power plants. Well, this is an easy cure. All you have to do is keep some diesel on site for the dual-fueled power plants. But the, the, they won't keep the diesel on site because, first of all, then they'd have to pay for the diesel and they may or may not get reimbursed for it. And secondly, if everybody kept diesel on site, the, price, the, the highest clearing prices would be low. And then what, what would you do there? You, you want those high clearing prices because most power plants on an RTO grid actually don't make money. They basically, all the time, they're losing money. And, and there are articles about it you can find. Yeah. Casey, what do you think? Well, so I'm, I'm curious, Meredith, because, you know, for our listeners, there are a number of these RTOs, regional transmission organizations around the U.S. and a number of different market designs. And, you know, the thing that's unique about Texas is that it's an energy only market, right, the, that um, the generators are paid just for the energy that they deliver to the grid. And I'm, I'm curious, Meredith, as you look at, at that market design versus something like PJM, which is a market in Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Maryland, hence the, uh, the name that has other components to it, where, for example, they pay for capacity and other grid services. Does that, do the differences in market design matter for this kind of thing? Well, they want to say that they'll matter, but I don't think they do. And what I, at the beginning of the book I have, I, I, I give an example of a winter situation in um, in in. New England, where we have a capacity market, people were being paid for capacity, and yet the system operator was 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 
doing everything in its power to get the plants to live up to their capacity obligations because there is a, they they set up a paper performance where they find plants if they didn't live up to their capacity obligations but why did they have to even do that if a capacity market would do it then all you need is the capacity market. But it turns out that what happens is you have to layer more and more fixes on top of the capacity market to get the plants to live up to their obligations because they're just merchant generators and they don't want to run when they're losing money. That makes sense. And, you know, most of our listeners are in Georgia. And of course, here in Georgia, we've got a very different kind of structure, right, Tim? Yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, folks come to me all the time wanting us to deregulate our energy market. Meredith, the way you describe it, it's a nightmare. Well, it is pretty much of a nightmare. First of all, when it's deregulated, it is still got lots of regulator. Pretty, pretty famous uh, article by Travis Kavula said that, um, you know, that can energy ever be deregulated and that the rules for the deregulated markets were three times as long as the rules for the regulated markets. (laughs) In other words, the deregulated markets encounter all sorts of problems, like I say, that could be solved easily, uh, but aren't being solved because there's no incentive to solve them. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, that deregulation, deregulation uh, looks at, uh, becomes fragile markets, more expensive markets. All kinds of studies show that the uh, deregulated markets, the quote deregulated markets are more expensive than yeah, the, Mer- uh, to the end user. Meredith, let me ask you, do, do you think those Texas uh, energy energy providers had an incentive to winterize their plants and do preventive maintenance? I mean, is that is that built into their system? No, none at all. None at all. They had no such incentive because after all, they'd have to spend the money and then they that, that would make their bids higher. They might not be called on as much. They, they, or, or, or if the clearing price was low because there was wind on the grid, it wouldn't help them to have spent the money winterizing their system. The absolutely most reasonable thing for a Texas uh, operator to do would be drop out if it's really bad weather rather than winterize. Why spend the money when you get it back maybe once every 10 years? When we come back... We're going to bring our guest back, Meredith Angwin from Wilder, Vermont, who has roots in Cornwall, UK, and talk about more issues with deregulation, why the Georgia system is superior, why our rates are lower, why our commissioners are cooler. (laughs) So stick around. Stick around. We're going to have some fun on Energy Matters. I love you, Meredith. You're, You're singing my song. So we'll be back in just a minute. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. 
See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybrid.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce here with Tim Eccles and our guest today, Meredith Anguin, author of Shorting the Grid. And just before we went to break, uh, Tim was doing a little bit of log rolling about how cool Georgia's uh, energy market design is and how cool the Georgia Public Service Commissioners are. And listeners, I suppose you guys can judge for yourself, but we'd like to talk with Meredith a little bit more about what she's seen in, in her book and, and maybe get a little bit more nuanced about market design and <laughs> what she thinks the best way forward is. Of course, we've been talking about Texas and the, the winter storm there, and you know we've spoken about it on the show. Show before, Meredith. As you look at you know kind of your your experience um, in the Northeast and looking at Texas, wh- what would have been the solution? I mean, if you were you know Governor Greg Abbott or or you know on the Texas uh, Public Utilities Commission, what would you do to help prevent this kind of thing in the future? Well, I don't know how much power the governor has about it. Once you set up an RTO system, it's a very um, it's it's very robust against changes, except for changes made by the participants committee. And the participants committee is basically uh, the people who have a stake in the grid. Uh, that is, they own power plants or they own transmission lines, and uh, they get to file cha- rule changes with FERC. Oh well, I guess Texas maybe maybe doesn't do quite as much of that, but uh, they don't. That's the reason they're their own grid, is that they avoid any sort of jurisdiction from the Federal Energy Regulatory Committee. or. Well, they they can't avoid it all because there are NERC rules of how you run a substation that everybody has to follow. But basically, yes, they they don't have as many orders and so forth going on as uh, uh, one of the other grids does. Meredith, I was on a NARUC call on Friday. This committee that we have is actually a DOE organized committee on nuclear energy. And one of the things that we were talking about, uh, and I know you guys had Vermont Yankee up there and you closed it, but one of the things we were talking about was that natural gas, even I mean, natural gas, even though it's a cheap fuel, because Texas didn't have firm natural gas, they didn't get their natural gas. And I, we saw that in the polar vortex as well in 2014. But, I mean, as you think about what happened in Texas, the issues without firm gas, the winterization problem, I mean, do you see nuclear energy as part of the solution here for states going forward? 
Well, absolutely. But then again, I've been a, a booster of nuclear for years. And uh, uh, back when I was much younger and I was a project manager at the Electric Power Research Institute, I was a project manager in renewables. And I switched over to being a project manager in nuclear, which is kind of uh, was very odd at, at that time. But at, at, and nowadays, it's, it's more common to understand that these are all non-polluting sources. Um, I wanted to also say something about, about Texas and, and natural gas and so forth and so on. Uh, basically, um, I feel the, the, the grids can get into trouble uh, by having too many renewables backed up by natural gas because renewables go on and off when they want to and natural gas is just in time delivery. So you actually want to have a grid that has some uh, energy stored on site. That is, it could, could, uh, my favorite is nuclear, but you know, coal, oil, they, they store it on site so it doesn't have to be delivered in, in and, and it's in New England, my gosh, getting things delivered in bad weather. I mean, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was dramatic. I mean, bridges that were raised to let fuel ships through, even though it was rush hour, so it blocked traffic, uh, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. It's uh, dramatic, but dramatic isn't what you want on a grid. <laughs> Reliable is what you want. I think I love you. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Would you say that one more time, Meredith? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Would you say that one more time, just starting with dramatic? Go ahead. Dramatic is not what you want on a grid. Reliable is what you want. You want a boring grid. I think I love you. Oh, my goodness. Casey, why have we not had Meredith testify at the Georgia Public Service Commission? Why is she not on the campaign trail with me traveling around the state of Georgia touting reliability? Meredith, you are the voice that we need <laughs> in, in our state. Casey, what do you think? So I, I'm going to push back just a little bit. So I, I, will, I will say reliability absolutely is critical, right? I mean, we saw this in Texas. We all know this intuitively. When the power goes down, it, you know, it's at worst, at, at best, it's an inconvenience. At worst, it's life-threatening, right? So I, you've got no qualms from me in terms of reliability. That being said, I think we should push the grid operators to make things just a little bit more interesting behind the scene uh, because we we do have to integrate more renewables. We do have to look for lower carbon solutions, and that's going to require a lot more flexibility on their ends. And, you know, whether it's, you know, natural gas backup and Meredith, I think you, you know, make a, a great critique of it, whether it's battery backup, whether it's demand side flexibility. I think they need to make it a little bit more like we need a movie about grid operators. That's what we need, like a Steven Spielberg movie about grid operators. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Meredith? Uh, rated G, <laughs> just just rated G for boring. I mean, that, that's all we need is the boring, <laughs> the boring grid, right? Yeah, well, I would say that uh, in general, if people come and visit a balancing authority, that is the, the, the big control room where they say the demand on the grid is going up and therefore that kind of that plant is now online, it's a dramatic, it is dramatic because it's, it's the biggest machine on earth. Everything has to be in balance all the time. So it isn't really uh, boring. Uh, but 
what I mean is that there's a different level of boring when the uh, frequency is going down on the grid and, and plants are going to be tripping offline to protect themselves and uh, and then, you know, compressors are failing because they can't get uh, can't get electricity, which means that they can't pump gas, which means that even more power plants are going offline. Uh, you know, I, basically, there are cures for these things. For example, you can have a, a re regulation that uh, power plants have to make firm uh, arrangements for, for uh, natural gas. I mean, you just make that regulation. You know, the trouble is, in an RTO system that goes in many states, they're not allowed to make any regulation that favors one type of fuel over another, even though different fuels have very different characteristics. Natural gas is delivered just in time, and but they can't make a regulation that thou shalt have, uh, you know, uh, firm contracts, because that would be interfering with how the merchant generators want to run things. And and as a matter of fact, we we had uh, our system operator had purchased uh, oil to be kept at dual fire generators and FERC said that was great and it saved your 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 grid during a very bad cold snap you have to stop it now because you're giving uh, an advantage to one fuel over another you're giving an advantage to oil I think I love you and so this is another place where I would say that a system like uh, Georgia has is is much more flexible because you won't be upset if you give an advantage to oil. If you say, well, we're going to have natural gas back up for the renewables, except when we have to have some oil on site, that's fine. And by the way, I looked at a couple of studies on the difference in price between RTO systems and uh, vertically integrated systems. And they're always saying that the vertically integrated systems are they're, they're, are always less expensive, but they're always saying that the RTOs are closing the gap. They've had 25 years to close the gap and become cheaper. If this kind of market system saves consumers money, it's had a long time to prove it, and it hasn't. Casey, Casey, this is golden. This is going into the Hall of Fame of Energy Matters. <laughs> our listeners at for our listeners at home who uh, obviously on the radio cannot see Tim, he has a huge <laughs> grin on his face right now and has been nodding along vigorously to to Meredith speaking about these different market designs. <laughs> Mer Meredith, I can't ha I tell you how many times I go to a conference, Nehruk, I'm from the South, you know, they're laughing in my accent, they're mocking this and that about, about our state, but you know what, we have a system that delivers. We have the reliability. We're the only state building new nuclear, you know, in America. We're going to do this. And we get mocked for that, too. But Meredith, reliability and autonomy is so important to us. And all of this RTO stuff, I mean, to me, it subverts the authority of constitutional officers like myself. So I love the system that we have. Well, thank you for being on our show today. You, you've been a fantastic guest. Casey, I, I, just, I just am floored. Uh, and just another affirmation that's going to help me be able to sleep at night. Uh, thanks, Casey, for being on. Meredith, thank you. Uh, folks, you can catch any of our back episodes at WGAURadio.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Just search for Energy Matters with 
Commissioner Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. I literally Googled best online life insurance. Ladder life insurance popped up. Got an estimate and I was like, wait, what? It's like a third of my household's cell phone bill. Congratulations, you have life insurance. Get your peace of mind right there and then. Here's how Ladder works. Answer a few quick questions and get your personalized quote. If you're eligible, Ladder will cover you with the tap of a button. It's that easy. Come see for yourself why customers love Ladder. Check your price now at ladderlife.com life. Featuring real stories from real customers.